G'day folks, Dean here with a very special Redux presentation of one of our previous episodes, which was episode 48, featuring the incredible film CODA, C-O-D-A, the acronym for Children of Deaf Adults, and we thought we'd redrop this pod this week because, of course, we're leading up to Academy Awards season well, we're leading up to the Academy Awards. We're already in that season. And the film is up for three Academy Awards. One for Best Picture, one for Best Screenplay, and one for Best Supporting Actor for the amazing Troy Kotzer. Let me tell you, if you listened to this episode already, you know that uh, Lisa and I have our fingers crossed, our toes crossed, because for us, this was just such an incredible film. We really hope that the Academy recognizes what an incredible film this is, you know what? Give them all three gongs. They deserve it. Joining us to discuss the film on the pod is the incredible actress Antoinette Abamonte, who uh, appears courtesy of our wonderful signer from the ASL, as uh, Antoinette is deaf herself. It's a terrific discussion. And by the way, if you have deaf friends, please point them, or uh, hard of hearing, please point them towards the website uh, for Killer Casting. That's killercastingpod.com and you will find a transcript of the entire episode so that you can read along if you can't listen. All right, that said, with all of our fingers and toes crossed for Sunday night in the US, which will be Monday morning here in Australia and I'll be up and watching live, we keep our fingers crossed. Enjoy this, a representation of our episode on CODA. If you're gonna pick Joni Mitchell, you gotta sing it. This is one of the great songs. Yeah, I know. You either find a way to connect to it or, or pick a different song. Okay, come on, shake your body, shake it, shake your arms, come on. Ha, <sighs> now, sing back at me. Me, 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 me. Come on. Me, 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 me. No, no, you're holding it. I'm not. Yeah, you're trying to sound pretty. I'm not. Yes, you are. Okay, you said uh, when you started school, you talked funny. Funny how? Talked like a deaf person. What does a deaf person sound like? You know. No, 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 I, I don't know. I, I want you to tell me. Different? Different how? Like, wrong. Ugly. Ugly, okay. Make an ugly sound for me. What? Come on, yeah. You think you were the only kid who ever got bullied? Whoever had a funny accent? Look in my eyes. Push against my hands as hard as you can. Push, push, look at me. Make the ugliest, grossest sound you can. Come on. Ah! 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 Go, be a monster. Ah! 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 No, sing at me. Now, from win and lose, and still somehow. Yes! That's it. That's it. That's what I was waiting for. Hello, hello, welcome to Killer Casting. I'm Lisa Zambetti, I'm casting director for CBS's Criminal Minds and co-casting director for the FX series, The Pilot for Reservation Dogs, which I'm so, so proud of. And it seems to be doing really great on Hulu. I hope you're all watching it. But today is an example of exactly why I started this podcast. It's because when I see a project like the film we're going to discuss today, one that fills me with such joy, that has such an comparable and indelible cast, I absolutely need to talk about it. I need to shout it out to the world and, you know, really not just praise it, but break it down. Why is it praiseworthy? You know, what are the elements that make it for me as a casting director, as a former actor, as a director, as a writer, you know, so exceptional. And I'm, of course, talking about the film Coda, 
written and directed by Sean Hedder, which is playing now on Apple TV+. It stars Marley Maitland, Troy Coster, Amelia Jones, Daniel Durant, and Eugenio Derbez. And boy, does it pay respect to each and every character in the film. But anyway, I don't want to just talk about it by myself. I got to chew it over with bigger and better minds than my own. So please say hello to my beautiful co-host, the Thunder from Down Under, Dean Laffin. Hi, Deanie. Hey, good to see you. Good to chat and discuss this unusual for me film. For this particular movie, because it's so special, I, I'm, in fact, I'm probably going to start crying because uh, it is. it just really moved me so much. Um, I'm very protective of it and I'm just, I, I can't explain why it just moved me on so many different levels. Anyway, I wanted to have on an actor that I cast many, many years ago. She is an amazing actress and a producer, I believe, and a writer and, and, and all kinds of things. And she's also part of the deaf community. And her name is Antoinette Abamonte. Antoinette, thank you so much for joining us. I was saying earlier, you don't you have not aged a day since I cast you in 2012 on the on a TV show called The New Normal. It's so good to see you. Oh, thank you, Lisa. Thank you. And I should say that Antoinette is is uh, able, we're able to hear her thoughts and then you're able to hear her thoughts because we're using an interpreter, uh, the wonderful Nicole Pancino. Thank you for joining us, Nicole. Um, Antoinette, how are you? I am doing great. I am enjoying life. I'm working now with some writers to make sure that the deaf culture is properly representative. Mm-hmm. And that we have really good, strong leading characters. It has been so fun. And the important thing for me is I have to have fun doing it because that's how I know I'm going to continue doing it. That is just my thing. And being creative and just pulling out whatever ideas I can. I've done that since I was a little girl. I just always love coming up with ideas. Anything sci-fi, I've enjoyed all of it. I love, And that's what we're working on now. It's a sci-fi oh, project. cool. So I should tell our listeners and our viewers who are watching this, because we're going to post this on YouTube, the deaf community is not a monolith. There are people like when Antoinette says proper representation, what that means to her could mean something completely different to other people in the community. So I'm very, I don't know what she thought about CODA at all. I know that there are people who are championing it and there are parts of the deaf community who aren't. And I've heard a couple of criticisms that stabbed me in the heart, but that's okay. But I want to I just want to get your both you and Dean, I want to get your immediate hits off of it. But I do want to break down what we do on Twitter is we really break down the movie like we literally will go like scene to scene to kind of really uh, dig in and analyze something and not just make assumptions. Because some of the criticisms I've heard, I went back and watched the movie and none of the things that they're talking about are actually in the movie. It's almost sort of like some assumptions that they've made about the movie, which is interesting. But anyway, tell me, what do you, what do you think of Coda? Well, First, the word that comes to me is wow. And I really applaud the people who are working in that. The actors that they hired were deaf. Finally, we're having that kind of representation. It took to 2021 for that to happen. We need to be able to come in the door. And watching the story, there are some deaf family stories that I can see are common in the world. So I think we should be able to see these authentic stories. I think that is by far the most important thing is once you get those deaf actors in and they're really doing the work, I can't say more good things about them. Marley Matlin, Troy Mm -hmm. Kotzer, Daniel Durant all did a fantastic job and I completely support the work all of them did. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. I'm so happy to hear that. I have so much to say. What you just said has just sparked so many ideas. Dina, what did you think? Well, when you first mentioned this film and I looked at the trailer and I'm like, oh, okay, a feel-good movie, it's got elements of this and that, I tend towards the darker side of things with films. For instance, possibly my most hated film of all time is Forrest Gump. (laughs) I don't think you're alone there. I I can't stand how manipulative it Mm -hmm. tries to be. I can't stand that it celebrates this. I'm going to use the wrong word, but I don't mean it maybe the way it comes out, but just the the sort of mediocrity or the idea that, oh, anyone can do anything if you just keep running. If you just do this, life will be fine and it all works out. It asks you to participate in the bullshit. That's how I feel about that movie. So I'm looking at this going, uh, here we go. So my reaction to this film 
is, like you, Lisa, I'm still choked up. This is an incredible film. I have not been moved by a film like this since I can remember, and I have a little bit of tears in my eyes now just thinking about mm. it. I don't cry in films. That's <laughs> I'm an Aussie bloke. We don't do that, right? I'm sitting watching this film, and I knew from the trailer. I even mentioned to you before, a week ago, I said, oh, my God, there's one scene in the trailer. I think this film's going to hit me. Mm-hmm. And I did tear up, at, and I choked up at a couple of points, and then there was one point in the film where I completely and utterly lost my shit, and I, I just I tears, I tears streaming down my face. I can't remember the last time I felt hot tears on my face watching a film. This is the most beautiful, beautiful film, and what I love about it is that it is so incredibly true and I don't mean that it's a documentary. You know, I don't mean that. What I mean is it is full of truth, as far as I understand it. The performances are, anyway. I can't speak to any experience of being deaf, but it's authentic. It feels authentic, and it's just incredibly moving. So I was I was just so happy to see this film. Very, very happy. Yeah, and when you say it strikes you as true, I mean, for me, obviously, I'm not deaf, but I am a mom, and I do have a oh, team yeah. of teenagers who are about to go out into the world. I understand what it's like for a family to struggle. I understand what it's like to feel isolated or to feel, I mean, I, there are so many things that I, that just hit me watching it. And, and Antoine, I want you to talk about who Troy Kotzer is to the acting community. Um, and I should say, and I wish Jim Clemente were here. We cast Troy on Criminal Minds as a serial killer the year before I started Criminal Minds. And would you believe I only found that out today? Now, Troy came in, Antoinette, for the same for the same series that I cast you on. OK, he came in for a role, I think, of your husband. And I, that's, that's the first time I met him. But I, I've seen him so many times. Talk about who he is and why we are just cheering that so many more people in the world will know his genius. His use of sign language is out of this world. He puts so much in and he loves to really become whatever character he's portraying. He'll take risks, which I appreciate in his work. I think that is absolutely astounding. And in Coda, there was so much color there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, we swear all the time on this show. And so I really appreciated his just poetic use of profanity and dirtiness. I just fucking loved it. I mean, he just went there. Are the things that he signed, Antoinette, are they in the ASL? I mean, or is he like improvising? Is he making up? I'm just so ignorant about, about it. What do you have to say about that? Well, from my understanding... For this film, you know, you you could do some improvisation. You know, you don't have to have the script exactly in mind. But having not looked at the script, I'm not sure how much of it was just kind of his going his own direction. For me, the way he expressed himself in sign language, I'm not sure if we would do that really in real life with our deaf family to talk to our daughters the way he was talking <laughs> with his daughter. I mean, to me, it felt a little too much. But he may have made the choice to do that, to really have as much fun as possible. And I'm not sure what his intentions were about the way he performed it, though. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. Is there really a sign for twat waffle or, or you know, any of those, <laughs> any of those, you know, very colorful words that the brother and sister, you know, have for each other? I just thought that was so great. Well, I was just going to say teenagers, high school ages people who go to schools of the deaf, yeah, you're probably going to see that kind of dirty sign language going on, that kind of graphic use of sign language, because it's very evocative of what it looks like. And so you'll see that a lot for deaf teenagers. I don't know that you'd see that kind of language used in home environments. We're talking about siblings here. I came from a deaf family. My parents are deaf. My brother is deaf. We certainly never did anything along those lines. We don't right. have those kinds of discussions about sex in my life at all. <laughs> right? In my home, that was not part of what we did. Mm. Uh, my parents moved in from another country, so I don't know if that possibly influenced it. Maybe here mm. in the United States, deaf families would be that way. That just wasn't what it was for mine. So I can't speak to others. I wanted to mention to people who, if you haven't seen the movie yet, can you just define what does CODA mean in terms of this movie, Antoinette? Oh, sure. 
C, child, O, of, D, deaf, A, adults. So a child who has deaf parents. There's also a CODA spelled K-O-D-A. That's for a young kid of deaf adults. And in a way, I'm a CODA too, who just happened to be deaf because I am a child who had deaf parents. That's right. And I very much supported my parents, especially my mom, because as I mentioned earlier, she moved from another country with a different language, a different sign language. So she had to learn ASL for my dad. My father moved here when he was 10 and went to a residential school for deaf students. And so he learned ASL. But when my mom moved here, she was 22. So she didn't know American sign language. She had to learn that after she got here. So I remember I had to help her out with reading English because she wasn't comfortable with reading English. Mm. And we used to have this old teletypewriter, they were called, to make phone calls typewritten out in just written language. So I had to help my mom make her phone calls. And she eventually had to go and learn English in school. So that was kind of my experience. So amazing. I can see a little bit of that experience for me, for what I saw in the film. The other thing too, Lisa, in terms of the film is that Coda, as we know from Coda, the death of Michael Corleone, a Coda is in musical terms, it's a passage that brings the particular piece of music to an end, which of course is what the film is kind of about. So where I live, one minute it's raining and the next minute it's 80 degrees and the trees and plants in my yard start going crazy, which makes my nose, throat and eyes go crazy with all the pollen. But luckily for me, I have gotten relief from the good folks at Plantiva and their natural proprietary formulation of herbal extracts called Aller-DX. I mean, I was sneezing and sniffling about to go into a Zoom meeting but I took an Aller DX and in 10 minutes, I had immediate relief. I mean, it was really something. So Plantiva is a family-run business and I have had the pleasure of meeting the Morrisseys, Dr. Steven and his wife, Jenny. And let me tell you, they are the real deal. I am really enjoying the products that they've had me sample. So you can try them yourself. Go to plantiva.com slash killercasting for your exclusive discount code. Yeah. So if you haven't seen the film, it is about this family who happens to be three of the members are deaf and the youngest child is not. And it's really a movie. Just we get a snapshot of what their life is being these fishermen in Gloucester and how she's got to help her family. She's come to help her family, but clearly they had the ability to make this business run long before she was born. So it's not like they're helpless and they can't survive without her. But I think in many farming families or fishing families, the children become enveloped in the parents' work. And it's just this sort of seamless thing that you do the family business. And now this is the time for her to figure out how to break out of that. Is she going to break out of it? And it's just an amazing story in that way that I think so many families can relate to, whether they're you're in the hearing community or not. So By the way, Lisa, how much are we going to plot spoil here? Oh, oh we, the, we, the whole thing. It's everything. Okay. I want people who love the <laughs> so film. So warning, folks. Yeah. 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 I want if, people who love the if film. If this sounds be... interesting to you, turn yeah. the pod off now, go and watch the film and then come back and listen to the rest of the pod, because it is hard to talk about the film and give it the love that it deserves without spoiling the plot. So please press pause, yeah. come back and pick us up where you left off. But one of the things that makes Troy so believable is he has that sort of weathered, wizened face of someone who spent their whole life on the sea. And just the way he uses his body and he's got these great bandy bow legs when he walks around and he's, his body is just so relaxed and settled into itself. I just love that. And his emotion as he's struggling to figure out you know, how to keep his business literally afloat and should he push his daughter to leave and go to college, but it's so much easier to have her stay. And just his trying to understand what it means for her to sing, because this is something that just comes out of the blue, it seems. What did you think of that plot of Antoinette and Dean of suddenly this daughter who apparently has been singing, but music was not really a part of her the way it is in, in other singers' lives? Speaking for myself, I have my son here with me. In fact, he's 20 now. When he was much younger, I'd say maybe when he was five, six, seven years old, I worked so hard to encourage him 
to go out and take music classes, to take drumming, guitar, you name it. He kept saying he didn't want to, but I'm the one who kept pushing him to go do that. I would take him there, even as a deaf person, because I wanted to see my child really have the full experience of his world. Because I feel that I want people to respect me in my deaf world. It's important for me to respect him and the hearing world, that it's a two-way street. I very much believed it was important to encourage any child who's hearing to go out and experience the world. Now, eventually, my son became a composer for guitar. He absolutely adores guitar, and he's so into that. I've got more pictures of him playing the guitar than I can tell you. So I'm happy that he got to that point. It made me feel so good to see my child have that kind of success. That made me feel really great. So when I was watching this film, I just kept saying, this is just not how it was in my family. Mm -hmm. And I don't have my children interpret for me if I go to the store or anything along those lines. When they were really young, I remember clear as a day that there were some sort of comments where I was like, you just, you can't do that to children. You can't make them someone you rely on Mm. to interpret for you because then you start manipulating them and they don't have their own lives for themselves. And Mm. I did not want that to happen for my kids. So I made a very conscious effort. And there was a lot of times that I'd be in a store or whatever, and they would say, oh, could, could your little kids just interpret for me? And I would say, no, let's you and I figure this out. We'll use gestures. We'll use written back and forth language, whatever we have to. But I really wanted to have that directly without having to bring my kids into it. On rare occasions, if the kids saw that I missed something, they might interpret something for me and I would always appreciate it. But I made sure that was as rare as possible because I wanted them to have their own healthy, independent lives. Oh, now that you say that your son plays the guitar and Dean, uh, maybe this is the scene that really got you. If you've watched your son play guitar, you can't hear it. Maybe you can feel it. You can feel the vibration on the instrument. But I just love the scene where the parents are watching this concert and they're not affected really by it because they can't hear it. And they're kind of looking around and being very polite. But I just love the peek into that world. I love that they took mm. the sound out and you're seeing what they see and you're hearing what they're they're not missing anything they don't know that they're missing anything and then later when troy asks i'm just going to call him troy when troy has his daughter sing and he's feeling her voice i mean dean was that one of your uh, tear jerking moments because for me i fell apart yeah that was a beautiful scene and just one of the things that makes this such a great film is that because of the nature of what the story is about so many scenes are totally unique And I know it's, (laughs) I hate people who say very unique and I just said totally unique, (laughs) but it is, it's totally unique because I haven't seen a film like this with deaf characters interacting with non-deaf characters. So many things just struck me as, oh yeah, oh, oh, that's going to happen. This whole story is cliched. It's written cliched. The performances are cliched. You've got the kind of grumpy old dad, you've got the kind of kooky mum, you've got the eldest brother or the older brother who feels he should be the one in charge, but he can't be because, not can't be, but he pushed aside a little bit because he's deaf and his sister is not. And you've got the inspirational music teacher. This is set up for bullshit. Guess what? It just fucking works its ass off. It's because of the casting and the performances It's just so special. So, yes, that particular scene where he's got his hands. And I wondered, Lisa, too, thinking, putting your real crime profile hat on, there's a difference between him doing this and a difference between him doing that, right, in terms of acting. Did you notice that? That Um, he used the back of his hands, not the front of his hands? I didn't. It wasn't a choking type of a gesture. He's got both hands against her throat and against her sort of larynx. But he hasn't got his palms closed like he was choking her. He's got the backs of his fingers and he's feeling the vibration. It's beautifully tender, Mm -hmm. as is the moment where she's freaked out about singing face-to-face to, to, what's Mm -hmm. his name? What was that? Miles. His name name was Miles. Miles. So they stand back-to-back. And I'm looking at them touching back-to-back and I'm thinking, that's a very intimate pose, but they're back-to-back and you're touching backs, you're Mm -hmm. touching bums. And you can feel each other's breath. It's just mm-hmm. wonderful filmmaking. But mm-hmm. no, the, the scene that really I just went, fell to pieces on was during the Joni Mitchell song. And she yeah. just started, here I go. Yep. She just started signing. And I, I was, yeah. and she just says, fuck it. I'm just going to do it. 
I'm, I'm going to let out what I feel and I'm going to show you this is who I am. And I was just, wow. And include was, her parents in it, right? I know. Things yes, exactly. To them for them. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, I, know. I love she was Bravo. First language. She was born knowing that language before she knew English. Another one that just broke me out of nowhere was after she comes back and she said she wants to go to the music school and they've just gotten the co-op off the ground. They're saying, how can you leave? And they said, we need you. We need you to translate. She says, I've been doing this my whole life and it's it's exhausting. And they're putting it on her, but she just wants to do what she wants to do. And incredible lines the characters have here and there that are just so moving and so affecting. I was blown away. And I really wanted to see more of the mother-daughter relationship. That's what I really was craving more of because yeah. Yeah. I felt like there was a real missed opportunity there. I so wanted to see the two of them really develop a connection. So I, I miss not having that. Well, you know, I rewatched it today. And Dean, I hear what you say about that there is a certain amount of cliche in it, but then I have to push back on that because they really turn those cliches around because the mom isn't really kooky. She's just, it's just interesting. She's vain in some ways and that's okay. Like a mom can be vain. She's sexy in a very grounded and natural way. She's still hot for her husband and she doesn't want to talk to those hearing bitches. And who does, who blames her? You know what I mean? Like you understand, like she, she has a world that she has worked fucking hard for. She has got this family. She's got this business and she loves her daughter. And Antoinette, just because I rewatched it just before we came on, there are some beautiful scenes where the mom is like, when you were born, I hoped you were deaf. And when you weren't, I was afraid. I was so afraid. And also she admits to her husband, it's not that we need her to survive, to interpret for us, but she's our baby and she's leaving. That's really what the crux is, that my baby is leaving home. And the easiest way to keep her, even if it's just subconsciously, is to say, we need you for the family. And I can just imagine lots and lots of families, working families who who probably say the same thing sometimes to their kids who are going to go off to the big city. It's so scary to think of your baby in the big city. And Ruby even says, I've never done anything without my family. It's not so. It's not only that the family's never done anything without her, but she's never done anything. And I, I don't know. And even the music teacher, I'd like to talk about Eugenio. Yeah. Oh, I love that character. I loved him. So He's the best. Yeah. As a drama teacher myself and having taught drama in college, teaching is really hard. Talk about exhausting. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say Mr. V. I was trying to remember his name. Mr. V. Mr. V. Right. (laughs) That actor, by the way, is like a huge freaking star in Mexico. Of all the actors in this film, this guy who I've never seen before, the camera was on him. He's sitting at the piano. He hasn't even said anything. And already I'm wondering, who the hell is this guy? Oh, like, yeah. wow. And then within the first five seconds, as great as this cast is, and they are, and the casting of Amelia is, by the way, superb mm-hmm. as the rest of the cast is. There's only one false note in the casting, and I'll, we'll cover that later, but sure. it's nothing major. But him, whew, once he opened his mouth, it was like the wattage of his performance. I'm sorry, but whenever he was on screen, he just glows at like twice or three times the luminance of anyone else in the scene. And when I looked him up, yeah, he is like the biggest megastar in Latin America. And I'm like, because I'm thinking, wow, he's come out of nowhere, this guy. No, he hasn't been. You're just ignorant. He's actually yeah, no, he, a And he has that confidence of somebody who's oh, a star in another country. And, absolutely. And, and this is the thing about when you're teaching for high school or for college in the arts, you can give so much to students and you're trying to set a bar for them and you're working so hard for them. It's really exhausting. And what I loved about him is that he came in with sass and brass and this uncompromising behavior. This is the bar. And if you can't take it, then fucking leave. But he wasn't cruel. This isn't whiplash or anything like that. But he's like, look, if you're going to work, I will work too. But if you're not going to work, I'm not going to kill myself to get you there. And that's an important thing because just my experience trying to get actors to where they need to be. It's just so hard. And you're giving everything you can to the student and you're rooting for them and you kind of start doing all the work for them. And I I just felt like this movie just paid a lot of respect to the art of teaching. And when uh, Ruby is pissed off at him and she's like, well, what did Berkeley College ever do for you? And, oh, yeah. he, you know what? Teaching is not 
doesn't mean you're a failure. Teaching is fucking hard to be a good teacher and get your students to where they need to be. It can break your heart. Students can really break your heart. I want to do this. I don't think so. Are you serious? You have no discipline. You're late. You're unprepared. You wouldn't last two days at Berkeley. Out. Go. It's not like that school did you any good. You have what, 17 years on this planet? You don't know shit. You want to know who I'm a teacher? I'm good at this. But I can't do my job unless you do yours. And I certainly don't need a lesson in failure from someone who's too afraid to even try. I loved, loved that respect to that character. What else, Antoinette? Do you have anything to jump into? I know for me, as a deaf actor, you know, an actor who happens to be deaf is a better way to say it. I know people say you have to look at the actor first, but right now I'm feeling like it's really starting to have an impact out there of deaf experience and what it is and that it's okay to be a deaf person. And a lot of people haven't had the opportunity to see a whole lot of deaf people out there. We've historically been shunted to the side, yeah. but now yeah. we're starting to see some floodgates open up and you're starting to see more and more deaf people out there. And it takes away a lot of that wanting to hide behind things. And now we can start looking at the talent. Let's talk about their talent. The fact that they're deaf, we can discuss that later, but right now let's look at their talent. And I see it happening. I think it's going to happen. I would love to have it be who I am first, Antoinette, and I'm a mom, and I'm a wife or a partner or whatever. I like to be seen that way first and going, hey, look, it's the deaf person. I am many, many layers in me. I am multitude. It's this now becoming much less than it was. So here's what I want to say about casting for a couple of shows where, yeah, it's great when a writer will write a part for a deaf character. And that's great because we want to have representation and tell those stories. But Rebecca Silverman and I on Criminal Minds, we kept wanting to just cast actors who happen to be deaf, no matter, even if the role didn't call for it. And I have to say that we would talk to a line producer and say, oh, I would, my idea was to have a deaf actor play a medical examiner because I thought that was just be so cool, you know, with no explanation. It's just, why not? I'm sure that there are deaf doctors and deaf medical examiners, and that would be fine. And actually, one of the series regulars on Criminal Minds, they had established that he did sign. And I thought there would probably need to be an interpreter if there's a medical examiner talking to the FBI and telling them his or her findings about a murder victim, there would need to be an interpreter. And that the hiring of the interpreter was like, oh, that would just be an extra expense. I don't think we can really do that. It was just easier to say no. But if it was a, a, a written as a deaf actor, there was no problem. You know, that would pay for the interpreter and we'd do whatever else that needed to be done. But to actually or say, hey, maybe we could have this be a, a wheelchair using actor. This seems like a good situation. It's not going to be they're not going to be like running across a, a field chasing after a, a bad guy. You know, this is like a perfect situation for somebody who's a wheelchair or whatever. But it's just that if it's not in the script. It's like there's not uh, there's no mm, green light to just bring in the actors. And I know that that is going to change and hopefully maybe a movie like Coda will will help push it along. Um, And you can see, yeah, a man can be a lobsterman or a fisherman and be deaf, but you can be 
anything and be deaf, but it's hard because you don't want to fight against your producer. You want to do what's best for the show. Yeah. And both of those characters, just like with both of my parents were tailors, they make clothes. You do your job and you can be deaf at the same time. There is no limitations. So I, I couldn't agree more. We need to have more deaf people represented. I am producing a film now, in fact, called Implant. And I'm working with Warren Zeid and the writer Dwayne Alexander Smith, mm-hmm. two of them very big in their field. And they had never worked with a deaf person before. This is their mm-hmm. first experience in doing that. So with my company, we have a place in our budget for an interpreter. Money already mm-hmm. earmarked for me to meet with them. And you know, that way we can talk about the money and investment and everything after that. But I want to make sure there's a line item in there for the interpreter because that's important for me. Mm -hmm, And just a couple of weeks ago, I met with the writer and I brought an interpreter with me. And it was just like you saw all these ideas sparking in the room and you could see that the writer was really ready to put it in there. It was helpful. It was helpful for me to work with the writer in the room right there. It was amazing. That is incredible. That's why I wanted to create my company so I could produce these films that I want to see. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And if you need a casting director, hi, <laughs> I'm available. <laughs> I just want people to understand also that uh, this film is sweet and funny and touching and uplifting. And as I said, not normally the sort of movie that I would go, wow, I want to see another one of these, but it's just so well done. But can I say this thing is funny as all get out. It is funny all the time. Mm -hmm. It's not at the expense of anyone, usually. The one scene that I just burst out laughing and I was watching early in the morning down in the lounge room, and I think I must have woken people up, was the scene where there's the town meeting, or if you will, the fisherman's meeting with the the fish buyers, Mm -hmm. and her father has enough, and and, and he stamps the chair, and and he signs something, and and then he tells her to stand up. And I'm thinking, oh, she's reticent to get up and translate for him. She's shy. Now, she's just come from the session with uh, Bernardo where he gets her to do ugly sounds and he finally gets her to engage and let stuff out. And so (laughs) she's been a bit of a shrinking violet up to this point in public. And then, she, and so Frank signs and she looks up at the guy, the assholes uh, that were the fish buyers. And they were the characters that I thought were just slightly cartoonish. They were bad guys and they were very yeah. one dimensional, but that's okay. I don't even care because the film is that good and they are assholes. And then she just turns at them and looks at him and just says emphatically, suck my dick. And, and then she goes, oh, by the way, that's from him, not me. <laughs> One of the other things I really admired about the movie is there's a moment, you know, she's bullied and made fun of Ruby is throughout her Mm. high school career and it it must really suck. But then there's a moment where her love interest, Miles, said, you have the perfect life. Parents are, and it's just it just struck me as so true that from the outside everybody's life seems so put together and he to her he seems like just the perfect guy who's got everything going from him he's so popular everybody likes him and and yet she doesn't realize that to him she's got this great family and it's such a cool job and he's seen her in town with her parents you don't know what other people are thinking. I just thought that was such a great observation that we're so stuck in our insecurities. That is so true. That happened to me in my life. I remember growing up and I'd go to school and was all hearing kids. There sometimes I was in school with other deaf kids, but most of the time I was with other hearing kids and I would get bullied and mocked and teased like you wouldn't believe. And it was really tough for me. And now I look at my son and I see, you know, him getting teased as a hearing person. I'm like, oh, teasing just kind of happens and it's okay. People move on. It's not the end of the world or anything. Um, I learned a lot from looking at my two kids. I'll tell you that. Can I just say, Lisa, that the character that I think she's so well cast and she plays a great arc within the movie as well. The actress, Emilia Jones. Yeah, Emilia Jones. Mm-hmm. Who's British. And. Yeah, she's British. Yes, yeah. exactly. And she plays, Ruby, um, yeah, she plays the daughter. Yeah. And what she has a character, even from the beginning, even though when she was shy and unassuming, nonetheless, she stood up when the fish buyers are giving them too little money for their fish and stuff. And it's a little old fashioned. You know what she's got? She's got Moxie. Moxie. This, yeah. this kid has got Moxie. Gumption. I don't know how you translate, you translate <laughs> that. Sorry, Nicole. 
But yeah, she's gumption. Yeah, she won't take shit from anyone, even though she's very quiet. And then, of course, she progresses throughout to to have that characteristic and strong. But it's buried. It's there from the get go anyway. And I just thought that she was a terrific character. And when you push back against me for saying that the movie was cliched, and I was like, yeah, I know, but then it confounds the cliche. So here you've got the classic story of the rich boy, poor girl. Mm. It's often the other way around. And the scene where she brings him to the house for the first time, and it's a tracking shot, and they pick them up and bring them to the house. She's apologizing for the house, and he's going, no, it's great. It's fine. They did everything except cross a set of railroad tracks. He's from (laughs) the wrong side of the tracks. But he's the rich boy who's supposed to have the perfect life, but his parents uh, won't talk to each other. They don't have sex, whatever. And then, of course, we get straight into that. Here's the comedy again, right? So there's the deaf parents having sex so loud they don't know that the kids can hear them. And then they cut. Mum and dad are sitting on the couch, all sort of like, oh, my God, we got busted having sex. And she's telling them, you can't do this. And it's like an inversion of she's the mom and that's the teenage kids that were having sex. That was hilarious. So then Frank gives the whole scene about the condom thing, and she's just totally embarrassed and storms out of the house with yeah. Miles. Storms out of the house with Miles, and then they cut back to they cut back to the parents on the couch, and they just burst out laughing like he did it to get rid of her. It's just I mean, so well that was written, so, so great. Funny. Yeah, Anton, I love that peek into the life of a family who is deaf, the whole like flicking on and off the light to wake somebody up or just all this, the little nuances of what it is. If you are the hearing person in the family and everybody's always making noise and banging pots and pans, it was just great to just see a peek into what that's like. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It was very authentic. Absolutely. I don't know if you're aware of this, but this movie was based actually on a French film called La Famille Bellier. Yes, yes. I had just learned that. And I haven't seen that original French film personally, so I can't really talk about how it compares. So this is what is very, I I just can't believe this happened. I was just going to ask if either of you seen that film, the original I I haven't, but I do know that Lionsgate bought the rights to to do the film, to redo the film. And there's a lot of controversy with that film because they did not use deaf actors. Now that could never happen on network television or any production company I've ever worked with because once, if it's supposed to be a deaf actor in this day and age, you ha- you cannot cast a hearing actor. It's just my studio would never, ever allow that to happen. And if you couldn't find an actor to do the role, then you would have to change the role instead of put a hearing person in there. But anyway, in the La Famille Berrier, they had some hearing actors doing the role. So there was a lot of controversy. And then when they went to make this version of it, uh, there was some push to have non-hearing, fancier non-hearing actors play the role of, of the father and the brother and everything. And good for Marley Maitland who said, no, if you do this, I'm walking. I will leave this film. Yeah. Of course, she's going to be the marquee. She's going to be what gets this greenlit, what gets it pushed forward. So good for her for fighting and also good for her for not making this a vanity production for herself. She doesn't try to shine herself brighter than anybody she's in the film with. Another actress might have tried to make the narrative more about her. She was just very generous. She's just very generous in the scenes she's in with other people and letting other people shine, letting Troy get all the big teary moments. I just thought that was just fantastic of her to do that. We really should absolutely all support each other. And for her in the deaf community and all of us, yeah, they're just, we all have to be out there and supporting each other because once we start infighting, then we'll never really get anywhere. We have to really let go and just support everyone else for the betterment of all, for the success of all. So more actors can follow behind us. It is so critical. I was thinking when we were talking before about children and deaf children or and, and CODA, that we teach kids, primary school kids, even high school kids, we teach them French, we teach them Italian. Would it really kill us to have even one, not even learn the entire ALS, but at least if you could learn to say, because I just realized at the end of this, I meant to look up how to say thank you and goodbye to Antoinette. And I didn't have time and I don't know. I think it's something like this, but I don't want to say anything rude. We know that happened in the film. So, but especially for primary school kids to teach them to sign, hello, goodbye, thank you. Just basic conversational stuff that you can travel through Europe if you know 20 words. 
surely we could all learn 20 words of of ALS or, or whatever that we can, if someone's deaf, we don't have to, you know, write something down. Oh, hi, hello. How are you? I'm sorry. Oh, bump you, blah, blah, blah. That's just, I just realized that should be a thing. That sh- It shouldn't even be a thing, but it should just be done, but it's not. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. To have that exposure to different languages and not just ASL, but spoken languages. It's just the more you find out there for both of my boys, they learned a lot. They learned some Spanish, they learned some French spoken, of course, and they already had American Sign Language ASL from their home environment. But it just helps them to interact with other people. And it just is so much easier to develop a relationship and rapport with other people. I think that's critical for children to learn as many languages as possible and really become comfortable with them. I remember seeing a production of Children of a Lesser God, uh, the play, which, of course, is probably one of the most famous plays and movies about the deaf community. I have to say it. I don't like that play. I know. I know. I know. Yeah, the deaf, angry woman. I know. I know. It's a product of its time. It was written specifically for Phyllis Freelich and, you know, it has a whole history. But anyway, I was watching this play and I could see backstage that actually the stagehands had learned ASL because it's so much easier to communicate backstage and actually on set even because you have to be quiet. And so they could communicate about 30 minutes till curtain or whatever it is by using ASL. So it's such a it's such a rich language for us to learn anyway. And certainly for actors, it's such a great of physical experience in gesture and expression communication. I just, I'm obsessed with that anyway. Mm. Actors should learn ASL because it gives them movement to Mm -hmm. their body. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to see a play like Shakespeare. And there are a lot of hearing actors that just stand there. And the only thing that moves is their mouth. I know. And they don't, (laughs) anything else with their body i'm like give us some movement here so i think that had these people had a chance to take asl classes they would learn how to be more comfortable in their body and move it i think absolutely every actor out there bar none should learn it absolutely absolutely mm. Deanie, what? i just yeah i just realized that what you were saying lisa about the stagehands learning that it reminded me i have a background in cave diving and of course you can't speak underwater and particularly you can't speak in the dark cave diving is a fairly specific activity. So we have things like I'm flashing my hands to make light. Okay. Question mark is a crooked finger line tangle is you fold, you do this with your hands on YouTube. You'll see, I'm just making like a knot one, a fingers upright, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10. Human beings have been doing this for a while. We just need to do more of it. I'm so happy to have had you here today, Antoinette. It's so good to see you after so many years and to see you doing so well and to be able to share my absolute gushiness about this movie. And also, I just want to start this campaign. I am banging the drum and Oscar for Troy. I mean... He 100% deserves an Oscar for this performance. I want to hashtag it everywhere for all of his performances. By the way, I've seen him in a production of Deaf West's Big River just before the pandemic. Actually, I was at this very random private reading where he and Deanne Bray, he's married to the beautiful actress who happens to be deaf, Deanne Bray. And they were in this reading together. And I think I went up to him and I meant to say thank you. And I, I did something else. And he looked at me like, what the fuck are you saying to me? I think I went like this. I don't know what that means. I meant to say like, thank you. Anyway, so he's been, what does this mean? Please. Oh, does this mean please or love? What does this mean? It can mean please. Yeah. Oh, no wonder he was confused. I was saying please. And he's please. It could also mean appreciate though. It could mean appreciate. Okay. Uh, Anyway, I've been a fan of his for decades and it's about time that other people know of his brilliance. And everybody else in the cast was awesome too, but he really is just the touchstone in it. There's just nobody like him. And I just can't imagine another performance reaching, doing what he did. Yes, I couldn't agree more. We need more deaf male out there doing that for younger deaf boys mm-hmm. to look up to, mm-hmm. younger deaf men to look up to, because we really haven't had that representation. He's the one we have right now, Marley Matlin. We have for for younger women to look up to, but I'd love to see more diversity. I think that would be awesome for children have people like him to look up to. And I love your idea about the Oscars push. 
Absolutely. And I wanted to recommend some other places where you can see amazing actors who are deaf. There's a, a series called The Society, which is amazing. Of course, there's The Sound of Metal. There's The Quiet Place, one and two. Uh, are there any others? And Switched at Birth. I know a lot of those actors who are in that show. Uh, Antoinette, any other movies or anything you want to recommend? Well, my film that is now out, it's called Since August. The lead character in that, I'm playing a lead along with the hearing actor from Russia. It's now in film festivals right now. Shanghai, Shanghai International Film Festival has nominated. The whole movie is an ASL. There is almost no spoken language. Uh, it's now being streamed in New York at the Winter Awards Film Festival. They selected us to be screened. I think that's going to be happening soon. So I hope you both have an opportunity to see that. It's an excellent oh, story. I would love it. I would love it. Yes, hopefully I can. I tried to see Coda actually at Sundance because it was at Sundance, but I couldn't get a ticket to it. But I would love to see since August and encourage our listeners to go see it as well. To work with the hearing actress Sabina from Russia, I will send you the information so you can see it. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Anything else, Dino, you want to say before we say goodbye? No, I think I'm all gushed out. That's oh. way more emotion than I'm used to sharing. <laughs> but it was such a beautiful film. I'm going to recommend it. I'm just going to post it everywhere. Everyone should see this film. It is just a beautiful film. And I also want to thank Nicole Pancino, who's here. She's been interpreting for yes. Antoinette, and it's exhausting. I know it is really exhausting for Nicole to be doing this, so I want to thank her very much. For yes, thank yeah, you, no, well done, Nicole, because you've been going for an hour now, plus the preamble. And I know that when we are in my other world, pre-COVID, I'm a live event producer. And when we have people signing on stage for our events, they rotate out at 15 minute or 10 minute intervals. So you've done a huge job today. So thank you so much. You're welcome. All right. Great. Thank you so much. Take good care, everybody. And for now, this is Killer Casting signing off. Killer Casting was created and produced by Lisa Zambetti. Sound editing by Dean Laffin from Real World Productions. Logo art by April Laffin. Theme music provided by Amphibious Zoo Music. And Big Fat Opinions provided by Brian Allen Hill.